Hey guys, and welcome to the Exhibit C Podcast, where two guys give their primitive and honest opinions on the world of sports. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we will talk about the 2020 Miami Marlins and their improbable run to the National League Divisional Series. We will break down their statistics and how exactly this team made an unlikely berth to the playoffs along with what the outlook looks like for the 2021 season. We will also give our current power rankings in the NL East along with our top five starting pitchers in the conference. Christian, what was your take on the Marlins season last year? Hey, Charlie. So, yeah, we talked about it a bit last week, but, you know, this Marlins team was almost the season that didn't happen. They were the first big COVID scare of the season. And, you know, when they got through it, they actually just roared out the gates with a seven and one start. And then the rest of the season was a little bit interesting as they kind of walked a tightrope between uh, mediocrity and and performance and it really shows in their stats i mean you look at their season and it's really not a typical playoff season by any stretch of the imagination they were bottom third in the league in runs they were a great scoring team not a great pitching team either bottom 10 era and fit and they had a minus 41 run differential i mean you could probably attribute about half of that to that blowout against your braves but yeah, definitely just not a regular season, not a normal playoff performance from what you'd expect, but you got to give it to them for what they were able to do, making it to the playoffs at the end of the season with a little bit of a run there. Yeah, no doubt. I think the consensus on this Marlins team going into the COVID season is that they were bad. They were, without a doubt, the worst team in the NL East. Uh, turned down, it wasn't the case. You talk about the run differential, that game against the Braves was probably one of the crazier games I've ever watched in my life. Uh, Adam Duvall, rest in peace, not on the Braves roster anymore, even though I wish he was, had a awesome game. I mean, everyone and their mother had a great game against the Marlins that game. So run differential is a misleading stat in my opinion, but it's good to point out though that a playoff team had a negative 41 run or somewhere around there, run differential. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, you're right. It was 41. And if you look around the division, that compares to the other teams that were behind them, they were, I believe none of them had a worse run differential than minus eight or minus nine. So that just goes to show how much of a statistical anomaly that is. And you got to talk about that stretch. You talk about the, the ending stretch of the season where the Phillies lost seven of their eight games. The Marlins had to win the games that they needed to at the end of the season. They, had to, they did what they needed to do at the end of the season to get in the playoffs and win that game against the Cubs, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at their last 10 games, it wasn't anything pretty, but like you said, they did what they needed to do. And the teams that were around them uh, hunt for wildcard spots like the Phillies went three and seven in those last 10 games. So and you got to hand it to the Marlins for what they were able to go into the playoffs after that little stretch and then actually perform and win. I mean, I don't know if you would count that as a series, but able to win that first couple games there and then get a full playoff series against the Braves. And, you know, going into that series, I know a lot of Braves fans were kind of not not necessarily nervous, but, you know, the Braves were scoreless in 39 innings against the Reds before Freddie Freeman hit a walk-off single, right? Uh, they, the offense wasn't clicking, and then you go against this Miami Marlins staff, as I know you're going to go into depth in a second, but it was kind of like nerve-wracking a little bit going into that series, knowing we're pitching a really solid starting pitching staff, and they, Yimmy Garcia in the pen. Um, but the Braves handled business, but yeah, they were definitely, 
just a grinded out bunch of hodgepodge players. And yeah, we'll get into it in a second. So yeah, talk to me about the pitching. Yeah, so like I mentioned, this this team as a whole, they really didn't bring it with their ERA or FIP or they were, I mean, across the board, they were really kind of near the bottom in pitching steps. But when you look at their team pitching and particularly the guys they had pitching towards the end of the season, because it was a lot of young guys, there's there's definitely a lot of promise in the youth of the Marlins pitching staff. Obviously, you have Sixto Sanchez, who is a Phillies um well, we don't need to talk about that right now. But <laughs> Sixto Sanchez, who is a young guy, 21 years old, coming in, pitching in big games, has some very good performances. And uh, Daniel Castano, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, Alicia Hernandez. I just named six guys, all 25 or younger, and all pitched and won in games this year for the Marlins. So looking forward, it, it is a promising staff, no doubt. Yeah, and, and again, I'm a big Yemi Garcia fan, especially coming out of the pen. Uh, had a .6 war in the season, which I believe is the top percentile in relief pitchers in the NL East. Uh, but as you said, the ghost of 6-0 Sanchez will haunt the Phillies forever. I know you guys just signed Real Muto, but 6-0 Sanchez, just a big fan of what that guy and the potential that he brings um, as the top of the uh, end road of the rotation arm uh pablo lopez was their best pitcher if you want our way in uh wins above replacement right but yeah it's uh it it's a great young staff and they traded away everyone you remember that team that they had with john carlos uh you had marcelo zuna and christian yelich and just wandering in the outfield and then adani hechevaria when he was actually good they had a legit team and then of course if Jose Fernandez did not pass away tragically, I think that I think this is a different Marlins team. They had their young ace and they had a great core of players. And I think once, you know, Fernandez passed away, unfortunately, that kind of, you know, there was you, you didn't have that top of the rotation arm to lean on. And the management decided to tear it down and, and trade everyone, which is came, came to fruition. Uh, Lewis Brinson is a bust. We know that. But Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara, all guys that have been um, acquired via the trade. Yeah. And if you look even deeper in the farm system, we were just talking about it a bit ago, but they have five consensus top 100 prospects. And one of those is Sixto Sanchez. So he's obviously made his way to the MLB, but they also have guys like uh, Jazz Chisholm, who is another player that could be in the running for a starting second base position this year for the Marlins. And then they have guys like J.J. Bleday, who's an outfielder that they're very high on. Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera are two very highly rated right-handed pitchers. So we're finally starting to see the results of what they got out of guys like Real Muto and um, Yelich and... John Carlos uh, Stan, yeah. And then Ozuna. I think one of those young pitching prospects came over from the Cardinals in the Ozuna trade. And you talk about Jazz Chisholm. He won he's a he's a Bohemian guy, uh cut come coming from the Bahamas. And I think he was with the Diamondbacks for a while. And then he got traded over to the Tampa Bay Rays, who then traded, I think, either Stanick and Chisholm over for a couple of guys or whatnot. But he somehow he's bounced around, and I think in his time in the MLB this past season, at least against the Braves, against the Braves, he had, he absolutely raked. But he's definitely a prospect to keep, uh, especially with Brinson kind of flaming out. They they need a position player to kind of rise up through the ranks, and he 
at number, I think MLB Pipeline ranked him 66 overall. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them this year. Yeah, and you look at the guy that was playing second base for them in the season. I mean, Jazz Chisholm is a middle infielder, so shortstop, second base, wherever you want to play him. And obviously, I don't think that they're going to want to move Miguel Rojas out of the shortstop position after the season that he had. But if you look at second base, they had John Bertie playing and didn't do terrible, but definitely not the type of performance that you want to see, especially if now that they've shown that they can make the playoffs. It's not the performance you want to see out of your second base on a playoff team. You know, John Birdie it was, was a is a grinded out guy, and there's no way that Chisholm should not start over him. But he's some somebody that you would see playing for like the early 2000s Red Sox, like a very grinded out Kevin Millar type player. Doesn't bring a lot of flash, but he's definitely a fan favorite. He he was fun to watch. He stole bases, very aggressive. He didn't hit for power. Um, but yeah, Bert, yeah, Chisholm should be should have a lot of opportunity to start over Birdie this season. So Christian, kind of going back to the Miami Marlins in their lineup. Um, so what who who really stood out to you this past year that you may have not known about? And uh who are you looking forward to watching in the 2021 season? Yeah, well we were just talking about it, but Miguel Rojas, the shortstop had a spectacular season. He's definitely the cream of the crop in their lineup. But I think looking forward into 2021 and in the years moving on, uh, third baseman Brian Anderson is definitely a guy that has shown massive flashes of potential already in his young career. And I think that that his season last season wasn't necessarily the performance that the Marlins were expecting from him. But moving forward, I think he's a guy with most certainly have a lot of potential. Miguel Rojas is in his 30s. He had a nice, a nice story, as you said. But Anderson is a guy that they want to build around. Um, he was a third-round pick. Uh, and, and, and a stat that I like a lot is WRC+. Plus. That's kind of runs per PA scale, where 100 is the average, right? You have 100 is the average, and then anything below that is below average. Anything above it is above average. And he had 122 uh, on the season, so he definitely did not have a bad season. He performed for the Marlins. He's, he's just not a superstar. He's like a nice player to have. Um, he's just not that Freddie Freeman that you can build around. Um, but, yeah, I like him going if, – if I were – any other team in the NL, I would if you're making a trade with the Marlins, you kind of want to sneak in like, hey, hey, Brian Anderson, kind of throw him, just throw him in there. We want him to start for us at third base. So going forward, Christian, who for the Marlins is going to play a big role outside of Anderson in the 2021 season? Yeah, so if you look at last season, Jesus Aguilar is a guy that had a very good season. He hit he hit for some good power and and got on base a lot for a big guy like he is. Um, but just looking around the roster, there's really not a lot of very flashy players. Like you said, it's kind of a hodgepodge team in general. And you know what? The Marlins kind of seem content with that right now. And they really aren't looking to make many big moves. So it, it's really going to look a lot like the team you saw last year. I mean, obviously, guys like Jorge Alfaro, they're going to want to have better seasons because they know they have potential in guys like that. And Corey Dickerson didn't really hit for the same average that you're used to seeing from a guy like him. He, he likes to get on base. Um, yeah, but just looking around their lineup, it, it's going to look pretty familiar next year. Yeah, no doubt. And, and a player that I kind of want to talk about just a little bit. God, he broke his thumb against the Cubs in the playoffs. And I think he pinch ran a couple of times against the Braves, but um, who played very well for them last season was Starling Marte. And actually this past Wednesday, um, they exercised his um, the 
they'll have him this year. They exercised the team deal for $12.5 million. They are option in 2021. Uh, but I think he could be a factor for them, especially if they string together some early season um, wins. Uh, he had 1.3 wall, uh, wins above replacement um, in the 60-game season. And I think he's a really just solid piece. He's a good veteran presence, kind of like Nick Markegas for the Braves. I know a lot of guys, a lot of fans joke about his vet, veteran presence in the clubhouse last 29 years. But Starling Marte is, a, is still a solid player, especially on a roster that has a lot of below average players in their lineup. Yeah, 100%. When they, they, I believe they brought him in midway through the season last year. And that was definitely a huge boost to an outfield that, you know, there's a lot of guys that you're not sure if they're really MOB starters at this point. But Starling Marte is clearly, as he's shown throughout his career, he, he is an MOB starter and he's a very valuable to player to have on your roster. Yeah, especially, again, I've said it before, I've said it a million times again, but with Lewis, Lewis Brinson, that was their, the centerpiece around the Christian Yellis trade. And with him not performing as they had hoped, I'm, I'm pulling up his, his kind of profile right now to talk about it, but his, Marte was hugely valuable this year, especially to have a center fielder like that. Uh, but yeah, Lewis Brinson had negative point to uh, war last season. So yeah, when you, when you have a good veteran that produces um, above average, it, it's always valuable. So Christian, kind of go, getting away from the baseball side of things, going into the front office side of things, talk to me about some of the turnover that's happened this offseason and the news in that regard. Yeah, so recently Derek Jeter brought in a new, I don't know if it's GM or president of baseball operations. I also don't know what they're calling it in Miami right now, but they brought in Kim Ng, who is actually the first female in such a high profile front office position in MLB history. So congratulations to her. But she actually had a, a pretty interesting press conference early on in her tenure. And one of the things, one of the highlights, one of the quotes that I'd like to highlight from that um, kind of relates to what we were talking about with them kind of bringing this roster that they had from last season into next season, not really looking to make many changes. So here's what she said. She said, we had a plan going into the off season and we're sticking to that plan. It just makes sense to try to approach this in a fairly disciplined way and to make sure that we are weighing our present as well as as our future in every decision that we make. So if you really read through the lines there, it, it kind of sounds to me at least like she's saying, you know what? We're not going to make any moves. Just a moral of the story. Yeah, it's interesting uh, with Miami because the market, it would seem like they are a big market team because they are in Miami. Uh, but yeah, it's just interesting that they're not going to make any moves. They're going to Take what they, they're going to try to build on what they were last year. And can you really take last year? I know it's a legit season, but can you really take the success that they had last year, make them to the playoffs, winning a game in the playoffs? Can you take that and say, hey, we're going to build on that in the coming year? A, a legit full game, full season, 162 games are going to bring it. What, what do you think, Christian? Yeah, I think if you ask a lot of people around the league, there there wouldn't be many, Mary very many high expectations for what the Marlins have to bring this next year, especially not really bolstering their lineup in any way that is meaningful. But they have a lot of faith in their young outfielders. They have a lot of faith, it seems, in Jazz Chisholm as those the right field position and the second base position are kind of the two ones that are up for grabs right now. I mean, they're they're pretty well set with the rest of the seven. But yeah, I, I think Kim is definitely building a sense of confidence in their farm system, in the guys that they brought in, in those massive trades that they made. And 
they're ready to see if they can ride this out for the next five years, it seems. So that is a good transition to go into our power rankings in the NL East uh, to see where the Marlins lie in our opinions. Uh, so I'll let you go first. Tell, tell, who is the top team, number two, three, four, and five? Where the Marlins stack up and then talk a little bit about why? Yeah, so I, I have a very hard time seeing anybody topping the Braves from last year. I know the Mets made a lot of additions, and it does pain me to say that it's not the Phillies, but it's definitely not the Phillies. And the Braves, I think they have a great opportunity to build off of what they did last year, especially hopefully with the return of Soroka, who was the ace, and the young guys that have come in the past few seasons in the pitching staff really bolstered it. And obviously, we know what we know what they're their lineup can do. So Braves, number one, Mets, number two, I think with the, those big additions, also with the return of Noah Syndergaard and with the clear number one pitcher in the MOB for me, Jacob deGrom. So I, I'm having the Mets number two. And then number three is really where I struggled. I struggled very mightily. I wanted to put the Phillies at number three, but at the end of the day, I just could not do it. And if you look at the Nats and the Phillies from last season, they're pretty much mirror images of each other. They could score a lot of runs. The Phillies scored a few more, I believe. And the bullpens were just not very pretty. But I think the Nats moving forward this season, they've addressed the the pen with the adjustment of Brad Hand. And they've also, they're bringing Strasburg back. And I mean, I have a hard time believing that we won't see a return to form from Scherzer and Corbin and those guys. And if you look at the last 10 games of their season, they seven and three, whereas the Phillies finished three and seven. So the Phillies are going number four for me. It's a team that can hit. We've seen them hit the last three years. And I'd love to, to think that they were a team that is a playoff contender this year, just like I've thought for the last three years. But I think we kind of see the trend for the Phillies. We kind of know what we have at this point. And hopefully Bryce Harper proves me wrong and bats 350 and hits 45 home runs this year. But I just, I can't bank on that. And then that leaves us with the Marlins at number five. We kind of talked about them. They minus 41 run differential this year. It's not a team that did it the old fashioned way, shall we say, making it to the playoffs this year. I think over the full, over the course of a full season, we're kind of going to see things pan out in a way that's more realistic. At least I would have to believe that. So you take it away. What do you got? So, so a lot closer than I thought what our rankings were going to be, but uh, Braves number one, there's just from my very biased opinion. They just have the best young pit core pitching with Soroka coming back off an of injury. Um, but they also have Max Freed, who's really excelled last season, which was awesome from the left side. And Ian Anderson had a great season last year. So I think those three are just a really great core to build around in their starting rotation. And then, of course, they have uh, Charlie Morton and then Drew Smiley. And then Drew Smiley, again, if he struggles at all, the Braves still have a lot of crop. Uh, pitching crop like Kyle Wright, Tukey Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, they could bring on. Um, but I think they have a really good depth in starting pitching, and I think that will pay dividends, and that's why I'm choosing them number one. I, I also think that they have the most firepower in their lineup, and I actually think the Phillies are number two. Of course, a lot of people would say the Mets, but when it, in terms of firepower in the lineup, I don't think Philadelphia has someone like Bryce Harper as the Braves have someone like Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman. I know you could talk about Lindor 
Um, and that that is debatable. And I could hear if somebody wants to talk to me about that, I am open to listen. And we may have a guest on the podcast to talk about Lindor and his time with the Indians in the future. Uh, I'm just not too familiar with um, him just watching the NLE strictly. Um, but anyways, Braves number one. I got Mets number two. As again, you, the ground's just so good. Um, and their the bullpen, as much of a mess it was at the beginning of the season, uh, it really came on towards the end of it. Diaz pitched much better towards the end. I know Jerry's Familia, um, they, they've liked him for a long time. Oh, and the, Gesellman, I think he, he's another guy. And then Seth Lugo is another guy that they have in the pen. So I think they just are well-built, line up very good. Starting top, they have DeGrom. Starting rotation is very good, um, especially with some of the moves they made. So Mets number two. I got Phillies number three. Phillies number three, and it's because of their firepower in that lineup, especially with JT Realm. Utah coming back, him and Bryce Harper, deadly. You got Nola, who's one of the top five pitchers in the NL East. Uh, and then you got Wheeler, pitched very well. It's the bullpen. Bullpen is, is, is their make or break. They have enough firepower to make some noise uh, in the regular season to contend for the NL East. And I think they're number three. And really, I have the Nats number four, mainly because I just don't like the Nats. Uh, that I like all the teams in the NL East outside the Nets. And I think it's because their play-by-play announcer just annoyed. Like, I like to tune in to the other team's play-by-play feed when the Braves play them. And the Nets play-by-play announcer is the biggest homer I have ever heard. The best play-by-play announcers, in my opinion, in the NL East are the, the SNY guys for the New York Mets. Those guys are absolute gold. Um, but I got the Nats at number four and then our the improbable Marlins at number five and watching them just come out this year and win the NL East and just shut us up uh, like they like they would have done last year. Um, but, yeah, those are I think we got pretty close. To, I, I got your feelings ranked a little higher than you. I like I like it. You, you kind of taking a step back and a non-biased approach to this. Yeah, that might that might be the Philadelphia fan in me just, you know not wanting to get my hopes up too much. We've we've had quite quite the run of painful experiences in the past. Well, it was such a well forever. Really. So Philadelphia, right? They just hired a football coach. I heard he had an interesting uh, press conference. Yeah, we'll, we'll just say that he struggles to speak English. <laughs> I, I saw on Twitter, uh, like, because I, I get, apparently he, like, said the same thing, like, nine different times. Yeah, me and my brother. younger brother were were just we were talking about it. We were watching the press conference together. We we've, we've decided to nickname him Nikki two times because <laughs> that's how he talks. I, dude, I, I I saw a tweet that was like when you're writing a paper at the last second and you need enough <laughs> words, and then they played the clip of him repeating. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, yeah. If, if someone had a counter for that, I'm sure it would be north of 50 times where he he did it. Well, I think he likes to make himself clear, make himself clear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he's trying to compete with the guy that uh, is it is it Mike Campbell that the Lions just hired and they and the guys. Oh, like, yeah. We're going to bite. <laughs> off. We're going to we're going to we're going <laughs> to they're going to bite some kneecaps. Yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, when you got to compete with Motor City Dan, it's Dan Campbell. Motor City Dan is what the Pat McAfee show was calling him. <laughs> Anyways, getting back to baseball. Back to baseball. Um, yeah, I, power ranking. So, okay, so that's a great segue into our pitchers. And I, and in our very biased opinions, the NL East is the be- has the best pitching in the league. In the entire MLB, the NL East has the creme de la creme of starting pitchers. So I'll go first this time. And then we'll you, you'll give me yours. Degrom obviously 
is the number one pitcher in the NL East. He's the number one pitcher in the MLB, and I think we both agree on that. Mike Soroka is my number two pitcher in the NL East. Very biased of me being a Braves fan, but I think Scherzer naturally would be, and I know a lot of people will say DeGrom, uh, not DeGrom, Aaron Nola. I think Soroka has better peripherals than Nola when he, when he talk about um, his ex-FIP. And so I'll take Soroka at number two, Nola number three, Scherzer at number four, and then my boy Max Reed at number five. Sorry, Noah Syndergaard, but you were hurt last season. Uh, Strasburg, you were hurt last season. So those are my top five. Max Reed was an NL Cy Young candidate this past season. So Yeah, so that's my top five, Christian. You go ahead. Yeah, well, this is definitely going to be a pretty drastically different from our our power rankings of the teams. But obviously, Jacob DeGrom's number one. We all know that. And then I'm going with Aaron Nola, number two. Call me a homer. Call me biased, but we've seen it year in and year out from Aaron Nola. He, he did take a step back a couple of years ago, but we kind of saw that return to form of the guy that we all know and love in Philadelphia, Aaron Nola, seventh in the Cy Young voting this year. So not, not as high as your boy, Max Freed, who I do have on my list. Don't worry. Um, but I, I, I heard you put Soroka here at number two. I have a hard time seeing him come back from such a severe in, in, injury um, so quickly, hopefully he can do it over the course of the next few seasons, but I think that might take some time for him. So number three, I'm going with Scherzer. I mean, it's Max Scherzer at the end of the day. He didn't have the best season of his career last year, but it, it is still Max Scherzer and he's not far removed from the, the, the string of great seasons that he put together over the past three or four or five years. And then number four, I have Max Freed. He's a young guy. But the dude didn't lose a game last year, 7-0. That speaks for itself. His ERA was amazing. And he, he, in my humble opinion, I think he probably should have been higher than fifth in the NL Cy Young voting. And he was arguably the most dominant pitcher in the, the NL East last year. So props to him for that. And then at number five, I have Zach Wheeler. Again, call me a homer. But Zach Wheeler, he brought it last year. He, I believe he led the Phillies pitchers in war. So that's above Aaron Nola, who I had at second in this list. And initially when we, when we signed Zach Wheeler, I wasn't very high on the signing. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminded me of the Jake Arrieta one, although not as far along in his career. But Zach Wheeler brought it this year, and he is my number five. And I think, again, when you talk about Strasburg, and I, and I respect that list, and Zach Wheeler, I think I might have at number 10 if I was doing it, or maybe even outside <laughs> the top 10. I think he, he's a Georgia guy. I know the Braves had a lot of interest, but I think he got uh, uh, eight figures from – he got an over $100 million contract with you guys, right? It was a whole lot of money. Yeah, he, he man got paid in Philly. But – uh, Strasburg, obviously, he's just dealt with injuries. And I know it's hypocritical of me to say because I talked about Soroka being number two and he literally tore his Achilles. And again, biased opinion. I don't care. Max Reed probably would do better. But I, in just my opinion, very biased. Soroka, not changed. I don't care. I don't, Maple Maddox, man. The Canadian Greg Maddox. That's the modern day. Dude paints corners like nobody else. He's like Rembrandt out there. Ah, but yeah, no, but you talk about, I mean, I think the Mets have Syndergaard, literally Syndergaard, who was, who has he won? He's finished top three in Cy Young several times. Yeah, certainly. Coming off a a stretch of injuries and um, 
But yeah, so, he's he's a, he's a gun. He's a gun for them, and I'm sure it, we we can't count on him not being back to form this year because he's proven that he he's definitely a strong arm for the Mets. No doubt. And then you got Stroman, who in the AL East just a couple of years ago would have been top five there um, for the Blue Jays, and then that the young cat coming over from Cleveland. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so in, in next week, in next week's podcast, when we talk about the Mets, we have a guest coming on who's going to talk to us about the young prospects that's a, that the New York Mets have stolen, uh, unfortunately, for the Phillies and Braves, but good for the Mets. And we'll see how that works for them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned just, just kind of circling back to the NLEs pitching as a whole. And you mentioned it. You could you could make a very legitimate case that it is the best. Um, they have the best crop of starting pitchers in the MLB. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a division that does have better pitchers. And I think overall, just even beyond the pitchers, it might just be the best division on, on paper. I, I, I thought it was this year. And I think it's because the teams were in the NL East, why it was kind of cannibalization. Uh, and I, I think at one point, there was the Braves winning the conference, the Phillies and the Marlins both sneaking in at wild card spots. Um, it just the Phillies fell apart. And I think the Mets were in contention in there. Like it was the Mets, Marlins, Phillies were all in there with the Reds. Um, I forget who else snuck in. Was it the Rockies? No, there. But it doesn't matter. But I just it. I thought it was the best conference in the NL last year. And I think it's going to be the best conference in the NL this year. Bold prediction. Yeah. What is your random bold prediction for the Miami Marlins? So I know we just did our pitcher rankings for this next season in the NL East. And I did not have any Marlins players, as I believe you did not either. But, and I will not say who, because that would be too bold. I believe there will be one of those young Marlins pitchers ending up in the top 10 in the NL Cy Young voting this year. And that is my randomable prediction. No question. Like it. I, that, that's a good. That's a that's a spicy one. I think that could come to fruition. I, I'm kind there of definitely with, some candidates. You know, I think again, we both agree that their pitching is a strong point. Their their strength, and I know abstractly their stats didn't kind of back that up this season. But I'm going to say in starter ERA, they're going to be top five in the NL East. Not in OEs, in the National League. They will be top. Well, I'd five. hope they were top yeah, five. Exactly. Least. Exactly. Kind of keep going to the over there. No, they're going to be top five in the whole National League. Uh, and that's my random. But you know what? Top, top four. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'll sell the house on it. I'll well, I'd say our, our predictions kind of work in tandem with each other. If one of them happens, it, it would be, if yours happened, mine will happen. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah and you, and you I think, you know, I think everybody would say Sixto Sanchez because of his ceiling. If he would have a crazy year, but I think Pablo Lopez uh, could be a guy that just has a quietly strong season that all the riders notice. And he'll, you know, jump up there and say, I mean, who knows, but again, yeah, watch out for Pablo, watch out for Sandy Alcantara and watch out for those other guys that we mentioned earlier. Those, those dudes can pitch over in Miami. They definitely have something going with those young guys. And yeah, I think, I think we'll definitely see at least one of them really putting it together a strong season next year. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Next week, we'll be recapping the 2020 New York Mets season, and we will be bringing in a guest who is an avid supporter of the Cleveland Indians to talk about the newest Mets acquisitions and to talk about how the Indians keep churning out elite pitchers like clockwork. Death, taxes, 
NL East baseball. Rush my-